0: What is up listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully and welcome to J Talks. <laughs> Jalen Tully, and thank you so, so much for tuning in to my very first episode of my brand new podcast, talks. Words cannot explain or describe how excited I am to be doing this and how thankful I am that you're here listening to what I have to say today. You guys will truly and genuinely come to learn so much about me, so much about what I believe and what message I'm trying to push into the world. So I don't really want to waste any time telling you guys about myself by any means, and I kind of just want to jump right into the topics and what I want this week's episode to really be about, but I do just want to say that the main overarching goal of this podcast, the main overarching message that I'm trying to convey and why I'm here in the first place is because I want to drive home the message that uncomfortable conversations breed growth, not just personally, but as a society. And by having these hard to talk about, hard to listen to conversations about current social and political issues plaguing our country and our world, we are able to better rectify and fix them for future generations and everyone else that's gonna come behind us. Like I said, you guys will truly come to understand why I feel that way. And I also think that the more I talk, the more you guys listen, I think that that message will start to truly resonate with you guys a little bit more as you start to, like I said, learn more about who I am as a person. So without any further ado with wasting no more time, I do just want to jump right into the topics. Like I said, I have a whole bunch for you guys this week. I do want to talk about the $600 stimulus legislation that is currently in the process of being confirmed by our Congress. And then I also want to talk about the man that teenage girls love to love And that Fox News conservatives love to hate. Yes, of course, I am talking about Harry Styles. And then finally, I want to wrap up this week's episode by talking about the vandalism. I'm going to say vandalism because that's what every single news article said. But as we talk more about it, you'll clearly see that it wasn't vandalized. But I want to talk about the vandalism of, of the newly erected Breonna Taylor statue outside of the Oakland City Hall. So again, with wasting no time, I'm just going to jump right into it. First things first... The first thing that went through my head when I saw that legislation regarding a $600 stimulus check being distributed to the public was on the brink of being approved by our Congress was $600? Really? That That's it? <laughs> I feel as though I'm really not alone in saying that that is a pitiful amount of money to give to the American public during a pandemic. And I'm sure a lot of people who are working class Americans, a lot of people who go from paycheck to paycheck just barely scraping by, who look at these stimulus checks as something that they depend on, I'm sure a lot of you guys agree with me too. $600 is not anything. $600 in most American cities isn't even enough to cover rent for one month. Nonetheless, when you add on the fact that there has been no other relief given in the last eight months, the last stimulus check was $1,200 for qualifying Americans and $2,400 for qualifying couples, and was given out at the very beginning of the pandemic last April, which means that we have now gone eight months without relief being provided to the American public. And part of this is because, let's be honest, the American government is so grossly out of touch with what the average American needs, especially in times of crisis. And another part of this, I know you guys remember this, but last September, GOP and Senate Republicans were actually withholding COVID relief so that they could push forward the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. Because, you know, priorities, obviously, but, you know, those are just two of the reasons as to why it's taken so long for more relief to be distributed to the American public during the pandemic. And even though those are reasons, they're most certainly not excuses as to why it's taken so long. And not only has it taken so long, but I also beg to ask the question of why only $600? I'm no mathematician, but just off the top of my head, $600 for the last eight months comes out to $75 a month. Our government believes that you, as a working class citizen who is struggling during a global pandemic, only needs $75 a month in relief payments from your federal government. Just off the top of my head, I have a reality TV idea. Let's force every single Congressional member who thought that $600 was a viable option to give the American public during a global pandemic when millions of people are unemployed, millions of people have lost their jobs and have in turn lost their health care, millions of people have dipped below the poverty line, Let's take every single congressional member, every single senator, every single house member, let's throw in every single other public official just for fun. Let's take them all and force them to live off of $75 a month for eight months. And I bet you anything that when they leave that reality TV show, they're going to come out of it being a way better public official. And I say that because I think there's genuinely something that comes with being a working class American. I, I don't know if it's empathy. I don't know if... It's knowledge, I don't know if it's experience, but it's something that I feel like makes a public official better when they come from a working class background. And with that being said, that's why I think it's so refreshing to have people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and having people like Bernie Sanders and having people like Cori Bush who have entered into Congress and are now rallying for working class people in America because they understand, because they've been in those positions. I mean, AOC was a bartender for Christ's sake. And like I said, I genuinely don't know whether to call it empathy. I don't know whether to call it experience or just the general ability to resonate with people who come from those backgrounds. But I think that elected officials like these genuinely understand what it means to be working class in this country and genuinely understand what it means to have to depend on paycheck to paycheck and and have to work 40-hour work weeks in order to just barely make ends meet. People like Mitch McConnell, who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, have absolutely no idea what the average American is going through, especially during a global pandemic when, like I said, millions of people have lost their jobs and have now dipped below the poverty line. And I think another part of this that makes it so upsetting to see our government working at times like this is not only, like I said earlier, you can see that they genuinely are so out of touch with the American public, but you can also see how little the government cares about people. You can just watch as they just lack the empathy to be able to be like, okay, even if people weren't struggling as badly as they were right now, even if we weren't in a global pandemic, $600 for the last eight months, that is not at all. All adequate enough to cover the expenses that people are just people are just stockpiling rent payments. People are just stockpiling debt because they can they can't pay it off. And on top of that, six hundred dollars isn't even enough to pay rent in most United States cities. And the cherry on top of the shittiest Sunday ever is the fact that most United States citizens don't really care. Most people at least don't seem to care, and I know that's not, I know saying most is wrong, I shouldn't have said most, but a lot of, more people than I feel comfortable with seem to not care. Mitch McConnell is the one that's withholding these $600 payments right now because he's trying to squeeze through liability protection for big corporations And yet Mitch McConnell somehow won re-election in his home state of Kentucky by, it wasn't even that close. It was, you know, by almost 20%. That is crazy to me. And keep in mind, this is also after the fact that he was holding stimulus bills hostage because he was trying to squeeze through a Supreme Court nomination. So people can see this stuff happening and they're still going to march themselves to the polls and vote red just because we have this very strict and for some reason so cavernous, bipartisan divide in this country that people feel as though they have to vote for their party lines, even if it means voting for people who quite blatantly will not care about or fight for your quality of life. And with all of that being said, I think this just further drives home the point that we need to start putting more effort into electing people who care. We need to start doing our own research and breaking away from our own party divides and start looking into who's actually going to be fighting for our quality of life, unlike the majority of the people who are currently in our Congress right now. And I don't even want this to be a Democrats versus Republican thing. I don't even want this to be me telling you that you have to go out and you have to vote blue no matter who. But I do think there needs to be more effort put in on our end, on the end of the voters, the people who are taking themselves to the polls and checking that box on our ballots. I do think we have to be more introspective and retrospective in terms of what it takes to figure out which of these elected officials, which of the people we are putting into office and giving all all of this power to, which of them actually have the best intentions, which of them are actually there because they care about the future of America, because they care about the American people, and which of them are there because they just want a big fat check going in their pocket. These are the un- the questions that we have to ask ourselves. And, you know, sometimes the answers might be uncomfortable. Sometimes the answers might be that you have to abandon your party lines and everything that you thought you known for the rest of your life. But if it means that we have a better America, not just for right now, not just for during the pandemic when we're in the midst of an economic crisis when millions of Americans are struggling, but if it also means that we have a better America for tomorrow, whenever this pandemic may end, whenever that may be, or however that may be, whenever we reach some sense of normalcy again, who will provide a better America then? Who will provide a better America for decades to come afterwards? And even though it can be, and it probably will be quite uncomfortable to, like I said, abandon your party lines and go with someone else, I think when you're taking into account everything that's going to come at the expense of that, that's a sacrifice that I think we as Americans need to be willing to make. And I think that we have to start breaking down these walls within our parties and outside of them as well. I mean, regardless of party affiliations, regardless of whether you're a Republican or Democrat, in between or neither, who would not benefit from a $2,000 check right now? Who would not benefit from a $2,000 check over a $600 one right now? That's something that I think should really transcend party lines. That's something that I think that we should look into ourselves and be like, huh, why are we dividing ourselves over something like this? If this is something we all unanimously want and need right now, then why are we, you know, splitting hairs and causing this divide to just get even bigger when, if anything, we should be working together to figure out what the American people need. And granted, I know that's easier said than done. I know it's much easier to say, hey, let's unify, let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya than it is to actually put forth effort into doing that and, you know, breaking down these walls and breaking down these barriers within us and breaking down even my own biases, my own prejudices that I have against, you know, people from the Republican Party and people who identify as conservatives. I know it's much easier said than done. And when I really start to take the time to sit down and contemplate what really divides Democrats and Republicans, what really splits up the right and the left, I find that a lot of it and a lot of the issues that we make bipartisan really shouldn't be. A $2,000 stimulus check should not be a bipartisan issue. Black Lives Matter should not be a left and right issue. Wearing a mask, social distancing, doing what is required of us during this pandemic, police reform. Like all of these things are human issues. They're not left-right debates if you want to argue with me over taxes then that's perfectly fine go right ahead but where people start to lose me is when we have these incessant arguments about things that in reality affect all of us i would say pretty equally and i think that begs us to ask the question of who benefits when we're pitted against each other like this who benefits when we're pitted against each other about gun reform who benefits when we're pitted against each other about police reform who benefits when we're pitted about each other over this global pandemic because it sure as shit not us, it's not the American public, we're still getting gunned down in classrooms and murdered by police and dying at the hands of a completely preventable and controllable virus. So again, I think that we really need to take a look at ourselves and take a look at our own parties and each other's parties and see who is benefiting from us being at wars over, at war over this, at war over these issues that have been turned bipartisan but really shouldn't be? Overall, I think we could all learn a very valuable lesson about electing people who actually care about us, who care about the people that they're serving, because it's very clear that too many of the people we currently have in office do not. Alright, next, yes ladies and gentlemen with eyes, I am going to be talking about, easily, the most attractive person this planet has ever produced, Harry Styles. If you don't know, Harry Styles, over a month ago at this point, modeled for the cover of Vogue magazine's December issue wearing dresses. And, as expected, conservatives, as always, were respectful. They were not at all homophobic or transphobic towards easily the biggest pop star that this world has to offer currently. They kept their opinions to themselves and didn't at all feel a need to share their bigoted views with the rest of the world. Oh, wait, I lied. They did all of that. And not only did they do all of that, but they did it all 20 times over. So, of course, you know I have to come on here and talk about it. The first person to share their mindless opinion was Candace Owens. I will be sure to give my full opinion on Candace at some point, but it will not be today because I I would be talking for years. Overall, if you don't know who Candace Owens is, she is a token black person for their conservative party who sold her soul to conservatives and has been an ignorant shit ever since. She decided to hop on her Twitter account after the Vogue cover was distributed to and seen by the American public and had to share her BS Opinion. She, I don't remember the actual tweet because quite frankly it was drivel. It just went in one ear and out the other. But she said something about how we need to bring back manly men, quote-unquote. I'm doing air quotes right now. I know you can't see, but that's why I'm telling you. Um, just some other BS about how he's not a real man and blah blah blah. And I'm gonna try and be as not redundant as possible. So I'm gonna be talking about gender roles later in this segment as I continue to talk about this But I just had to share a tweet that I saw with you guys when I was scrolling through the trending tag on Twitter regarding her comments about Harry Styles. And it was, I remember it to a T because that's how perfect it was. It said, Candace Owens is just angry because Harry Styles is more of a woman than she will ever be and more of a man than she will ever be with. And oh My god, I have not seen a social media murder that good in quite some time now, and I, I, like, I fell back in my seat. It was, I just started laughing so hard. It was just, that was just such a, that was just such an eloquent and disrespectful and heavily resonating insult all at the same time. It just absolutely blew me away. So, with that being said, bravo giving you a round of applause right now for whoever made that tweet because like I said that was just that was just so beautifully written and I think there's nothing more to be said about Candace Owens at that point because that just that just destroyed her right there. The next person that felt a need to comment on Harry Styles attire on the cover of Vogue was actually a Fox News anchor and this was the incident that actually made me want to talk about this on this week's episode. Fox News, of course, just had to get one last homophobic jab in for the end of the year, and they were doing this end of the year segment on things that they wanted to leave in 2020 and things that they wanted to bring into 2021. I'm sure you see exactly where this is going. Obviously, they felt a need to say that Harry Styles wearing a dress was something that they did not want following us into the new year. And I'm not sure what news... reporter was doing this segment i'm not sure who he was i know it was a man but like i said i'm not completely sure you can look it up if you want i'm sure you could find it not quite sure why you would want to though so don't feel like you have to waste your time this said reporter however went on to say that harry styles wearing a dress was quote unquote not at all revolutionary or breaking gender norms he was just annoying people and that david bowie already did it into that i say one If David Bowie already did it, then why is it such a big deal? Why do you care so much? If those gender norms have already been broken, if the controversial and groundbreaking thing has already been done, then why are you throwing a hissy fit over it? Why is it such a big deal? Like I said, if it's already been done, if it's already been done before, then nobody should bat an eye. Nobody should turn their heads at, you know, this crazy phenomenon that's going on because it's already happened for one. For two, which is piggybacking off of the point that I just made, if those gender norms have already been broken, then why are you still demanding that they be reinforced? If David Bowie had already been the one to break those gender norms and wear a dress in the 70s like he did, then Like I said, why are you demanding that these gender norms still be enforced? Why are you still getting so angry that men are wearing dresses if this is a gender norm that's in your eyes, like you said in your own words, has already been broken and it's not revolutionary? Harry Styles didn't do this to be revolutionary, he did this because he wanted to wear a dress. And I think that that's the most pertinent point that people are trying to make right now is like, if you want to be homophobic and transphobic, then just come out and do it. But don't try and code it in like you being upset that he's trying to piggyback off of other pop stars in culture who have already done this, when in reality you're still sounding like a homophobic troglodyte. That allows me to segue nicely into my third point. Even if the gender norm hadn't previously been broken and dismantled, I again am forced to ask the question of why does this bother you so much? Why are you allowing this to take up so much space in your brain? I am willing to bet my entire life savings that the balding Fox News host with a receding hairline who sits on TV and spouts lies into a camera all day isn't getting a monthly subscription of Vogue magazine. And granted, I am completely aware of the fact that this picture was on every single social media platform bombarding literally everyone, but with that being said, I'm also willing to make the bet that this man probably does not walk in the same social media circles as Harry Styles fans do. So again, that begs me to ask the question of why would he just go out of his way to see something that makes him this angry? If it obviously makes him this uncomfortable to the point where he would go as far as to say that Harry Styles wearing a dress should not follow us into the new year. Then, I, then again, I'm asking him why he would go out of his way to see something that would make him that upset. And my final and possibly my most pertinent point that I would like to make in this entire segment is that it is 2021. We are now in a new year. If you are still stuck in a cycle of Neanderthal thinking that men have no place in society wearing dresses, then maybe you shouldn't be allowed to follow us into the new year. With all of that being said, I now digress into my last and probably the worst segment of this week's episode. Not worst in like its quality is bad, but worse in the fact that it's probably going to be the hardest to listen to. It's probably going to be the hardest to participate in. Um, So I'm just going to say that now. I'm going to be talking about the newly erected Breonna Taylor statue outside of the Oakland City Hall, which was destroyed and smashed after being up for less than two weeks. Ah, so long story short, the racists are at it again, in case you thought that they ever took a break from their disgusting nighttime activities. Pretty much someone left their home in the middle of the night with the intent of smashing a statue of a poor woman who was murdered in her home in the middle of the night, just based on the fact that she was black. The first question that comes to my head is, How racist do you have to be to, like I said, leave your home in the dead of the night with the intent of destroying a statue of a woman who was wrongfully murdered in her own bed to have it out for black people who are living? I don't get me wrong. It's still inexcusable. Racism is racism. It's disgusting. It's abhorrent either way. But to go the extra mile, to take the extra step of disrespecting a woman who was murdered just because of the color of her skin, that to me is despicable on a whole nother level. And it, it, it makes me sick to think about that someone holds this much hatred in their heart, that like I said, they're willing to disrespect the memory of a poor woman, a poor woman whose family will never see her again, a poor woman who is an EMT on the front lines of the coronavirus pandemic, which we are currently immersed in. You have so much hatred in your heart for an entire subset of people in our society that you will go out of your way to deface, destroy, and ruin her memory. And when I think about this logically, I understand that we have a very long and very ugly history with destroying black memorials. The one, that, the first thing that came to my head when I was thinking about all of this was the Emmett Till Memorial erected in Mississippi in memory of a 14-year-old boy who was lynched. It has actually had to be remade and repaired several times due to people's vandalisms, due to people shooting it and destroying it in other ways. And now they have, I think it was a while ago at this point, but they have had to now erect it in a bulletproof fashion so that people could not take it upon themselves to destroy it as easily. And like I said, I I understand that we have a very long and very ugly history with defacing black memorials and defacing black statues like this, but the fact that something like this even has to happen. The original artist of the Breonna Taylor statue is making a new one out of metal so that this cannot happen again. But the fact that we even have to take these steps to rectify other people's immense hatred and other people's immense, just blatant disrespect for people who deserved better. Regardless of race, regardless how you feel about people of color in this country, it's irrefutable that both Emmett Till and Breonna Taylor deserved better. And the fact that there are so many people in this country, too many people in this country, who feel as though that's not true, and that they still deserve to be disrespected in their death, it's it's disgusting. And the thing that also propels so much anger within me regarding all of this is the fact that it's so rich because the same people who have nothing to say for Breonna Taylor's statue, the same people who have nothing to say for the fact that we've had to erect a bulletproof Emmett Till Memorial in Mississippi, are the same people who cry and bitch and moan when Confederate statues are taken down and seen for who and what they really were. Traitors against the United States. Those are the same people who tell us that we're disrespecting our history, that we're disrespecting American heroes when we take down Confederate statues or when people vandalize or destroy Confederate statues. But like I said, they have absolutely nothing to say for Breonna Taylor. They have nothing to say for 14-year-old Emmett Till. People who were wrongfully murdered in this country. People who were lynched. People whose lives were disrespected despite the fact that they just deserved better. I think it's so rich that people like this cannot even understand or see their own hypocrisy with all of this. And it, it makes me sick. It breaks my heart because I don't I don't know where we go from here, if that's the case. I don't know how we find middle ground with people like this. And the answer I think is that we can't. You can't reason with people like this. You can't reason with someone who genuinely thinks that Brianna Taylor deserved to bleed out for 20 minutes in the hallway of her home, while they also hold the beliefs that Robert E. Lee was a war hero and that he deserves to be celebrated and looked up to as a role model, as someone who this country should celebrate. I know you can't reason with people like that, but i that won't stop me from trying to understand. That won't stop me from trying to make sense of all of this, because that's thats what I try and do. Even if i Even if it seems null and void, even if it seems impossible and nonsensical. I try and understand why this happens. And I don't necessarily try to understand why people feel this way, why people hold so much hate in their heart, why people are so racist, because as a black woman in America, I will never be able to see that point of view. As someone who has had to stare at the ugly face of racism time and time again, I know I'll never understand someone who can harbor that kind of hate in their heart. But I try and understand why stuff like this happens. I try and understand why people feel enough hate to the point of leaving their home in the middle of the night to destroy Breonna Taylor's statue. I try and understand why people leave their home with the intent of shooting and destroying an Emmett Till Memorial. And on top of that, I also want to see why stuff like this is seen as excusable or defendable or why issues like Breonna Taylor's death or Emmett Till's death are seen as so divisive. I don't understand why it's so hard for people to just sympathize and just see that regardless of someone's skin color, they did not deserve to die. They did not deserve to be treated as subhuman. I don't understand how in the year of 2021... We are creeping closer and closer to our second century since slavery was abolished. Yet, it seems like nothing has changed. It seems like there are still an overwhelming number of people in this country who look at someone who looks like me and sees me as subhuman. Sees me as someone who's not worthy of, bl- of basic human respect. Even after my death, even should I be lynched or wrongly murdered, they still would see me as someone who doesn't deserve an ounce of human decency. So I don't want people to ask why people are protesting. I don't want people to ask why Black Lives Matter exists, why Black Lives Matter is so angry and so violent. Do you not see the violence that's being perpetuated against Black people each and every day in this country, even in their deaths? Even when they pass, when they're no longer a living entity of this earth, they are still subjected to extreme hatred and racism. Do you not see the intrinsic violence that exists within those acts? This transcends racism and bigotry. It transcends prejudice. It transcends seeing someone who's black, seeing someone of color, seeing a strong, powerful, confident, and contributing member of society who happens to be a black woman and hating her. It transcends all of that. And this now goes into disrespecting a wrongfully murdered dead woman who was a good person. She was an EMT. She, all the pictures that are shared of her, she is so light and vibrant and happy all of the videos I've seen of her, she's constantly laughing and making other people around her smile. And even if she wasn't a good person, even if she was addicted to drugs, even if she was in and out of prison, even if she was a deadbeat and someone who we wouldn't necessarily see as a hero in society, that doesn't excuse her murder. That doesn't excuse you vandalizing and destroying a memorial of her. That doesn't excuse the hatred that you hold in your heart for this woman. A few years ago, I saw a quote, I don't remember where I saw it, it probably was like Pinterest or Instagram or something like that, and it said, I realized my own power when I learned that the color of my skin can make people so uncomfortable. And that was part of what catalyzed my own love of my blackness, and that was part of what catalyzed my own involvement in Black Lives Matter, my own involvement in, my, in not just my own liberation, but in black liberation in general and in liberation for and for every other minority group who has to look at the face of oppression every single day in this country, and they can never escape it. But as I see people not only murder Breonna Taylor, but excuse the fact that she was murdered, and on top of that, disrespect her even in her death, I am really starting to realize that people fearing me for the color of my skin, even though it might make me powerful, it also makes me a target and it makes me a threat. Even though I should walk and carry myself with my chin up and my shoulders back because I am a strong, powerful black woman who exists in this world as such, I also need to be scared of people who will see me as someone who needs to be eradicated, as someone who doesn't belong here. It's a very tight rope that black people walk in this country and unfortunately, it cost Brianna Taylor her life. It cost Emmett Till his life. It's costed George Floyd and Sandra Bland, Philando Castile, Tamir Rice and Trayvon Martin, all of their lives. And honestly, it'll probably cost dozens, hundreds of more lives, at least until we figure out a way to evolve as a country, as individuals, as a world. It breaks my heart. It really does. And I I hope that Brianna Taylor's family is able to find peace with all of this. And I hope that wherever Brianna is, I hope that she's able to find peace too. And I hope that she doesn't have to deal with the scorns of racism anymore. All right, I feel like that is a good spot to end this week's episode. Now that I have all of you in tears, um, I didn't want to make you guys upset. I didn't want to force you guys to think about something that you didn't necessarily want to think about. But I, I wanted to try and show you guys and give you guys a feel for what these episodes will be like. I tried to talk about vastly different topics to show the range. I tried to talk about, you know, our government and politics. And then give something a little bit more lighthearted, you know, poke fun at some people. And then I tried to talk about, obviously, something that I hold near and dear to my heart. Something that I think we all should And something that obviously kind of helps to showcase the ugliness that our country holds beneath its surface. And something that we all have to collectively work together to end and to evolve towards a better future. Which, like I said at the beginning of this week's podcast episode, this is what I want this podcast to be about. I want to be able to have an area and a space on the internet and on social media where we can facilitate growth. Not just as individuals, not just as a society, but as A collective unit of people. And I think on that note, I think it's also important to say that growth is uncomfortable. Taking a look within yourself or taking a look within your society and seeing the ugliest parts of it and trying to figure out ways to rectify and fix those things, it's hard. Self reflection or reflection on your society, especially if you're a white person or a man or cisgender or straight and you benefit from some of the Toxic and oppressive status quos that exist in this country It's hard to take your privilege and say I don't want this if it means someone else is suffering at the hands of it But with this podcast i'm hoping to shed light on the fact that when we do that When we're able to separate ourselves from our egos and our privilege We make this country better for everyone including ourselves We make this country safer and happier and healthier for everyone And that is the overarching point and goal of everything I want to do with this podcast and everything I want to do with my life after the fact. So with all of that being said, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed this podcast at all, if you want to see more of what I do, more of what I say, more content from me, be sure to share this podcast with other people who you think would enjoy it. It helps me a lot and it encourages me to keep doing what I'm doing. Also, be sure to follow and subscribe for weekly episodes that will come out every single Sunday. And be sure to also leave a rating and review if you can. It will, again, help me a lot and encourage me to keep doing what I'm doing. Also, be sure to follow me on all of my social media platforms. All of my handles are just my name, at Jalen Tully, which is spelled J-A-Y-L-I-N-T-U-L-L-Y. There is a little a little quote that I'm going to say, a little mantra that I'm going to say at the end of every episode and it's kind of going to be something that I make a part of my persona because I think it's I think it's so valuable when it comes to especially the conversation of what it'll take from us as individuals to make this country and this world a better place. So with all of that being said, please be sure to leave this episode and every episode that follows it ready to educate often, learn freely, and always be sure to love equally. Thank you so much for tuning into my very first podcast episode and take care, you guys. I'll talk to you next week.